Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California and now living in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Shu. I am proudly representing the Northeast of China, but I'm also here with Jason in beautiful Beijing. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Today on the show, we have Thomas Fletcher, who is the international head of primary at the prestigious bilingual school, Chaoyong Kaiwan Academy. Tom was born and raised in Newcastle in the UK. Since graduating from university in 2010, he's taught in the Republic of Georgia before moving to Beijing in 2012. Tom has lived in China for 10 years. He's also been the regional academic director for North and West regions for Disney English, during which time he had a team of hundreds of educators. Recently, he has served as the principal of the International School in Shenzhen before getting a master's degree in globalization in education. Welcome to the show, Tom. Welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. Well, that is quite a resume. <laughs> <laughs> I've also known Tom for quite a while. Yeah, I believe you were one of the first people I met when I came to Beijing all those years ago. How long have you guys known each other for? Ten years. Yeah, ten, ten years. years. I, both, I think yeah. you were just a, a few weeks before me, right? I think so, yeah. I barely remember Beijing without Tom. <laughs> I Actually, I don't. I don't have any memories of there not being a Tom, except suddenly Tom was like, hey, I'm Tom. And then that, that was basically the beginning of my Beijing story. So uh, we want to know a little bit about you. So can you tell us a little bit about your life in Newcastle? Okay, so... Uh, like everything, I grew up, went to school, normal. But Newcastle as a city is quite unique in that it's seen as like a, a good destination to go to for university. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually quite a large Chinese community there for university. What, what that meant was when I got to 18, rather than like fleeing the nest like most <laughs> people do, I stayed in Newcastle. I was in Newcastle for university. Mm. And I think that's part of the reason why I ended up leaving. Um, because when most people like kind of spread their wings and go and travel, mm. Mm. I didn't. I stayed in my home city. So then when it came time to enter the world of work, mm. I was like, okay, I'm I'm not just going to leave the city. I'm going to leave the country. Mm. So, <laughs> so then like I started on my international journey, as it were. So why the Republic of Georgia? Uh, it was, wasn't my choice, to be honest. It was a, a friend got a job there and it was mm. just like, okay, that sounds like something you can do. And like the fear of moving overseas is, is quite real. And when you have somebody else that's doing it with you, you're like, okay, well, at least I won't be alone. Mm. At least mm. I'll have mm. one person in this strange place that I know nothing about. I'll know them. Um, so he found the job first and yeah, I followed. You know, it's a little bit difficult question to ask, I think, but before you move to the Republic, of Georgia, what did you know about the Republic of Georgia? Nothing. Very, very little. <laughs> yeah, very little. So I knew, like, they'd been in the news because I moved there in, in 2010. In 2008, there was um, uh, an invasion by Russia. So that was uh, something that was in news. So I, I knew the country existed, which is more than some <laughs> people can say because quite often that I say, That is true. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I taught in Georgia. And like, oh, you're in the US. And I was like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, know there was, I knew there was a country called Georgia because James Bond 
often talk, the, oh, you're from Georgia, and they have a Russian accent. I was like, like what is, is wrong Georgia? with this person? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it has become a very popular travel destination for a lot of Chinese people recently, mm. though. Mm. I think because it's a, I'm not sure if you can go without a visa or I can get a visa very easily mm-hmm. and it's relatively affordable. Is that kind of? Yeah. And actually, when the USSR was still a thing, it was a travel destination within the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, people would travel from there. It, one of its unique selling points is that there is a, a kind of a two-week period where you can sunbathe and ski on the same day. It's obviously insanely Sorry, expensive you, to do. Yeah. Can you explain that a what? little? <laughs> yeah, so they have uh, the Black Sea, so yeah. the Tumi, um, and then the in Svaneti, the, there's a mountainous region. And in like late autumn it's still warm on the beaches. Mm. So um, a thing that for the mega rich to do to show off mm. is to go in the morning to sunbathe then jump in a helicopter mm. and fly up to the wow. mountains. So not me. Ski. You're talking about no. spe- yeah. special okay, so class not anybody, of people. I yeah, see. so it's just like, just to be able to flex, to say that you've done it. I was sunbathing in the morning and I was skiing in the afternoon. So it'll wow. just be a piece of knowledge that'll be useful for trivia questions. This is something for trivia in Beijing. <laughs> so before you had moved to Georgia, what other countries had you visited prior? Um, I I did the classic uh, travel around Europe in university. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Eurorail, uh, but you buy a pass yeah. and it give, you can go on any train in Europe. So I did that where it was like 10 countries in 30 days where you just kind of oh, nice. just kind of bouncing through Europe. Mm. I done all of Europe, but one of my like life goals was and is to visit all seven continents. Hmm. So Including I'm, Antarctica. Where are, we? Yeah. <laughs> where are we on that goal right now? Uh, f- uh, five. Um, so like wow. I actually had the last two, I kind of want to check off. The The plan was to go to Argentina and from the southernmost mm. tip of Argentina, you mm, can take a, a ship that takes you to Antarctica. Yeah. Um, you have to touch it? Does it or do you just have to see <laughs> it? Yeah, that's the difficulty. Obviously, it's very hard to get to Antarctica, but... Um, just pre-pandemic was when I t- ticked off Australasia. I spent six weeks in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So that was kind of a, a one that was difficult to get to. But mm-hmm. yeah, and then since then, obviously, it hasn't been much travel. So seems like if you're in New Zealand, you could probably get to Antarctica pretty quickly, right? You're You'd be surprised. Pretty... The world's quite big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just hop in a little rowboat and yeah. row over. Like just no roadblock well, so in between. Wh- how old were you when you were traveling around Europe? Uh, 21, 22. So my question, I guess, because I wanted to eventually get to this question is culture shock. Well, mm. like as a person from the UK traveling in Europe, what were some things that surprised you about the way other people lived? Well, actually, when it comes to, to culture shock, I had quite an interesting experience because I was traveling with two other friends. Mm. There was three of us, mm. one of whom was the guy I ended up moving to Georgia with. Uh, but the third one, he experienced it quite profoundly and that like we would as i was saying traveling like every three days and you would complain about like missing being at home speaking on uh, to girls on msn or missing like watching <laughs> watching cricket on on sports and i was just like okay like those things are comforts i understand but like yeah. we're having this incredible experience mm-hmm. where we're traveling around and seeing all these different things and i love the fact that it was very different but kind of similar and mm-hmm. it had a, a flavor mm-hmm. but for him he just missed home. And the last I checked, he's still in his hometown. Mm-hmm. Like, like wow. he, he did that and he went to school close to where he grew up and now he's got a job there. And some people are just like that. They, they, they prefer it where 
I had that feeling of because I didn't leave for university, mm. I wanted to go and, and see out and I wanted to travel. I feel like for people from my country, from the US, that mm. traveling to other states is enough and then they're done and they want to <laughs> stay home, most of them, and very few people travel abroad. But I mean, if you're for, for your friend, it sounds like he did do the going abroad mm. thing. He did go to other countries and then come yeah. back. So it's not like... Yeah, he oh, tried it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some yeah. people move abroad and they, they stay abroad. <laughs> that, I think that's the exception, right? Yeah. But I also think... Um, um, something that your, your country and your country have in common in mm. that they're so vast that you can have a variety of experiences within that yeah. country. And that like, even just in terms and of Georgia. climate, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like in terms of climate, you can travel around. And if you want to be in desert, you can find that. If you, mm-hmm. if you want to be in like rainy, more tropical type of things, you can find that there's everywhere you can think of. You can find that within your country. In England, not so much. Like if I want to experience something different, I Mm. I need to travel. I need to to get out. Mm. Mm. You're listening to The Bridge. So you were a teacher in Georgia. This is your first job? Uh, my first postgraduate job. Mm. I, w- I worked part-time jobs through university and things, but yeah, first postgraduate job. You started, you started off in ESL, English teaching as a second language. You are now in the teaching field still, although you're a leader in that field. Is that the direction you've always wanted to take? I guess it's one of those things that you don't have like a passion for it and like, <laughs> oh, I must do this. It's one of those things that like I could see myself as a teacher and then like anything, if you find yourself to be quite good at something, it always feels nice, right? You, that's you, always, you like that's being always successful. Good to have. So like, yeah, I found myself to, to get success in what I wanted to do. And so I stayed. Mm. Um, anything, anything that still, still just comes up in memories of Georgia nowadays? Um, I think one of the things that was most telling for me is like when I got to the end of my contract and I was leaving, I was leaving because I knew that the special memories about there were the people. They were all leaving. So I was like, okay, like I don't have a strong connection to this place as a country. I have a connection to my experiences. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. because there isn't as much happening, people don't tend to stay as long. And I think it's true everywhere you go that your experiences are made by the people around you. But because China has a lot more happening, people Mm -hmm. stay for longer. So I have experience. So when I, when I think of Georgia, my memories are not of that as a, like a culture so much as my experiences, my people there. So my, the local friends I made would would, mm. would still be there, but the international friends are kind of dispersed around the world now. Do you still touch base with him? Yeah. Them? Like even every couple of years on Facebook or something like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, bits and pieces. Like a few of them have come to visit me here in Beijing. Um, some ended up uh, working in Hong Kong. So I would visit them. They would visit mm. me. Um, and I've had others, others that mm. like I've just kind of touched in on. And But it's when you have an experience like Georgia was where, well, there wasn't much happening. So it was very Mm. intense. We spent all of our times together. So those relationships, I feel, are the ones where you cannot see each other for years. And then when you see them again, it's just like, yeah, back into the... the I was traveling in Thailand in 2019 and I ran into this group of older European gentlemen um, that were gathering from different parts of the world for a a football (laughs) (laughs) see what you're gonna do for a soccer slash football tournament Mm. 
they were friends, close friends with each other in Cambodia back in the 70s mm. from different countries. And that's before the Internet was before social media. So mm. all they had was was each other. And it's the same thing that they didn't see each other for 10 years. 10 years later, they were like they found each other on social media and they're like, we should do this every year. So every year they go back to Thailand, they go to Cambodia, they go to different Southeast Asian countries. And they're, they're, they're in their like fifties. Someone is in their, I think one of them is in their mid sixties and they still travel and do this. That's I think, a beautiful story. I know. Yeah. I have friends that I made in South Korea and mm. I was only in South Korea for one year, but we still talk on WeChat, strangely enough, which is a Chinese app. Yeah. But we still, we talk on WeChat like every couple of days. Just like, hey, here's, a, here's, just send him a meme. He sends me a meme. Usually, That's very just, sweet. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because all of my friends that I got to know in the United States are kind of like memories from my last life. Mm-hmm. That is, doesn't exist. I get. But if you saw them, you went to Boston or, or North Carolina, I want to say, right? North, <laughs> Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, so you would you would be like, hey, how's it going? Right. I mean, if I did visit eventually, of course, but that is a very, you know, costly visit for, <laughs> for me. But it's it's interesting seeing, you know, when you know someone in a country that you kind of feel like you have to bind together versus when we were when we were in the United States hang around with these people. Facebook constantly reminds me and say, Hey, seven years ago, you did this with this person. I was like, Oh, I did. We were that close. We were like, buddy, a, if you keep, I think if you keep <laughs> deleting those, do you want to share this memory? Because I never want to share an old memory. <laughs> of course. It's always like, I'm doing things now. I don't want to talk about what I was doing. Yeah. It's, it's less and less. The algorithm's like, Oh, you don't care about your past. <laughs> exactly. So we read your mind. So don't worry about it. So it's beautiful to have friends like that from that's 10 years ago, 12 yeah. years ago. I was yeah here for 10 years. Uh, so yeah, slightly over, but I think that's, you do go through different stages. So talking about old friends, like I'm still in contact with a lot of my high school friends. Mm-hmm. I'm not in contact with any of my university friends. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, you different stages where there we built a close bond and there we didn't, they're just, okay. They're just people that you, you go to university with and then, okay, right. See you later. I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, I think it might just vary depending on which person, which part, part of their life, like yeah. was impactful and interesting after Georgia. Did you come straight to China or did you go home and live in England for a little while? I went back for a, a little while. It mm-hmm. was, uh, so me and a, a friend, we both like kind of started on an, an international journey together. I went to Georgia and he went to Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, but his contract was like misaligned with mine. Um, and we said, oh, let's, the next place we go, why don't we go together? So I went back and like kind of waited for his contract to, to finish. And I was there for a little under a year. And then we, we moved here. He's still here now. He's um, working for Disney in Shanghai. So I mean, I have a question about that. So when you, after living in Georgia and then moving back to England, were there things that you noticed about England you hadn't noticed before? Um, not so much England, but the, the people like kind mm-hmm. of like the habits that people are into mm-hmm. and like the perspectives that they have. Um, you like noticing that it's like, like not everybody thinks that way. Mm-hmm. And so when they would like, someone would do something differently and they kind of like poke fun at them or something mm-hmm. like, well, that's not necessarily wrong. That's just different. different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had a more diverse portfolio of personalities to like choose mm-hmm. from like, it's okay to be like this. It's okay to be like that. So how did you or you and your friends choose to come to China? What, what did you know about China? What were your anticipations and why, why did you guys ultimately decide well, th- to come here? I think a large part of why I came to, to China was directly in opposition because of Georgia. It was like a very small place and there was mm-hmm. not much going on. I was like, well, if I'm going to go to a place where there's probably going to be things going on, China is <laughs> probably big enough. Yeah. And, and then it was also when I was applying for the job, I was like, okay, if I'm going to China, I'm just, I'm going to go to Beijing. Like, I'm going to go like, like dive straight in. I don't mm. want to go into like a, a smaller city. Mm. And obviously what I didn't 
know back then that I know now that a small city might still have five million people in it. <laughs> but <laughs> we have we have talked about that yeah. a but, lot on the show. But for me, like I was just like, okay, I'm going to go big and I'm going to go in. I, I want to be in the capital. I want to make sure that there's stuff going on. Mm. Uh, because one of the things I missed when I was in Georgia uh, were things like like playing football. Mm-hmm. And I knew <laughs> if I go to to Beijing um, that I would have that. So you mentioned like friends uh, or people that you know going to Thailand. Uh, like we have a football club that does exactly the same thing. Obviously mm-hmm. not right now, but like we used to have tours to Thailand and, and nice. going to these places. Now I, I wanted to go somewhere where there was a lot going on. It was a big place. And I knew that I would have access to, to everything that I so needed. So you knew yeah. before you came to China that there were football teams in Beijing? Because <laughs> I barely knew that three years after moving here. I was like, Tom is on the football team? What, when did <laughs> this happen? Where did the, there did are find football these people? Teams? Yeah. yeah, but like, I knew like the, the foreign population was, was in the hundreds of thousands. Mm. So then I'm like, okay, there's going to be a few that you can get 22 I can guys find like, 11 people to do yeah. 22, let's make it. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, was, I was fairly confident. And that was one of the first things I did when moving here was... Um, um, I ended up setting up my uh, own football team because what I found was most football teams play at the weekend. And when I first came here, I was mm. working for a training center. Mm. I was I was working over the weekend. So I'm like, okay, instead of playing 11 aside at the weekend, uh, I'll join a five aside league. Mm. So yeah, I, I set up a team to play. I have China no Park. idea what language that was. <laughs> what, what is a five aside team? It's just the number of five players on the team. Five, yeah, oh. five is five. Do you play on a smaller system. field? Yes. Oh. Half. Do you play half? For five, uh, five? The, the specific like size, they're smaller with smaller goals. Uh, I see. The pictures I've seen of you on social media, there's a lot of people. So you have found larger yes, teams. I've since now moved, right? So I'm, I'm working in a school and mm. work regular Monday to Friday. So the mm. weekends I, I play. How many teams are there in Beijing that do this? Uh, well, we've got three divisions just within wow. our league system. What is it? How many teams is in a division? <laughs> <laughs> you have to go into details. Yeah. I, mean, I think a lot of people in are foreign on yeah. and so we'd be very curious about that. Yeah. So right now I think there are 12 teams in each division. Wow. Um, but wow. that's just like the, the foreign league. Like there are Chinese teams in there. But like the majority of people in there are foreign is uh, international based league. There are lots of Chinese teams as well. We will regularly set up like friendlies and, and play mm-hmm. play them. So, yeah, there are lots of teams. In so Beijing. these three different divisions, do they play each other or are they like Jason division and then like normal people division? Yeah, and then so division? Um, <laughs> like little like, league and, and yeah, like, league. like most things we will have like you have your league and your cup competition. So mm-hmm. the leagues you stay within like. Div three plays Div three, Div two plays, D- and then but in the league it's a random draw, so it might be a Div one team versus a Div three. Wow! Team. So I mean, for people who are really out of shape, I'm just saying, like, where do you? Like, you they have special like teams who are like, oh, oh, Jason, you would fit in on that team. You know? Yeah. So like. <laughs> Um, Division three teams, it it might be one of those where like there are still some people that are are very good players, but there are also some that like maybe it's not, uh, they're just maybe a bit older, for example, Mm. like, Mm. like, okay, like they were very good players, but now they're like, okay, my knees can't take it anymore. I'm just going to go to like a slower place. I'm going to walk on the field. (laughs) But there are also some really good quality all through the divisions, to be honest. So it seems to me like you knew a lot more about China coming here than I did, actually. Perhaps. 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 So he knew about the football team. (laughs) 
Nazi <laughs> was existing, and it took me years before I knew about that. Yeah. Learning that is, that about, is that about China or is that about the lifestyle I want to lead? When well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about when you arrive as from coming from the UK, because obviously it's going to be different traveling around in Europe. I don't know if you consider UK Europe or not. <laughs> I'm not I really don't. So like um, when you came to East Asia, basically the, the other side of the planet, basically, how was your first week or two? How much adapting did you need to do? And what was it like? What would you recommend to other people? How would they prepare that kind of thing? Yeah. So for me, you kind of have to go in with like being comfortable that you're going to be uncomfortable, accepting mm. the fact that there are going to be situations that like are new and alien to you. So I think it's very different now in that like people can rely on phones. Mm. When I arrived 10 years ago, there was no DD. There was no major. Yeah. Like you just like you would jump on the subway and mm -hmm. to get the subway you had to buy a ticket you didn't scan your phone mm -hmm. yeah. um, so just kind of having an awareness of that like you might go the wrong way or you might get do the <laughs> wrong that's okay and just kind of accepting that like that you're going to have days where you're kind of feeling overwhelmed mm -hmm. and when you're doing that like sometimes you can like seek like friends that are going through certain things sometimes it might be for example going for comfort food what's your comfort food <laughs> had to ask that question. Yeah, pro probably like it would be something like a pizza or some, some something like Western that's familiar. Yeah. Like I like Chinese food, but when you're coming in here, it's like sometimes you, when you're feeling overwhelmed, you just want something that feels familiar. You don't need to think about, you don't need to wrestle with the menu. Mm. It's just like, <laughs> okay, just come in. I'll get that because it, it's simple. I mean, I've had a similar experience in res wrestling with the menu because at first I was just like Jaga, right? Mm -hmm. And I would see the picture and think, <laughs> oh, that looks like, noodles with beef and it'd be like noodles with stomach yeah you know like yeah uh, well i guess i'm having stomach today yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't see that kind of thing as much anymore things like seems like you can translate everything right you hold hold yeah. the opinion it's you, too it's you almost your too phone. easy use your phone yeah. and you can just click that little a on it where it just automatically translates everything or you take a screenshot of whatever app that doesn't offer an english option and you put that in wechat and it scans the text and translates everything into english for you listening to the bridge yeah there's also the option you say relying on other people from back home or from elsewhere i spent a lot of time relying on local folks okay. so mm. i would chinese people to help me do something i would constantly be like there was a lady we knew emma Mm -hmm. Now would be Emma. Could you help me do this? Emma, could you help me do that? Emma, could you help me to set this up? Yeah. So mm -hmm. Emma was basically. I, I think a large part of it comes me. like most people come over working for uh, a company or studying in a, a school, and they they have a organization that supports them coming over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people's successes can be determined by like what support structures are put in yeah. place mm -hmm. and whether they're well organized in order to provide like an Emma or an outlet to <laughs> to kind of support you in that way. Well, yeah. did you know people that uh, initially? that you were close with at least that initially uh you thought oh they're gonna struggle and then didn't make it yeah they, had to, they, had, they needed to return home sooner than maybe they had planned yeah so like see people that the smallest things seem to escalate and snowball there was a, a lady that we used to work with i believe you were a roommate for a, a little while uh, mm. and, and it seemed like every couple of months she was booking a flight because mm. something had happened that had overwhelmed her and it might not necessarily be 
China related. It could just be like she's having a difficult day at work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but her her default to deal with it would just be to flight. Run away. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like fight or flight, right? Um, <laughs> flight was very much her like literal way that she would deal with that would be to book a flight mm-hmm. and to talk about okay, I'm I'm leaving. And then you always notice when you're going in in a company, you're generally working on rolling contracts. When it comes mm-hmm. to renewal time, there's some people that are just like counting down the days, like they're not even considering leaving because. They're overwhelmed and don't feel that. And there's other people like, no, I'm enjoying my life. I have a, a decent yeah. lifestyle here, mm-hmm. so I'm going to stick around. I, mean, I think if someone makes their their full year contract, that's a really you know positive thing for the company, but also a positive thing for them. Because yeah. most people, if you ask them who've been here a long time, if you ask them, why did you stay here so long? It was going to be one year. I was so, just about to yeah, say, that's we'll like the same that. beginning of everyone's story. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to be here so for they, three if months. They, if they leave after their yeah. three month or year contract, then basically they fulfilled their ambition. True. Yeah. yeah. So, so why did you stay for your second year then? Um, I think part of it was the fact that I was really happy, like professionally, it was going mm. well and I could see a, a pathway for promotion. Mm. And well, like when you're young and starting in a, your career and you think, hang on, I can, I can move up here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that entices you. Mm. Um, another part of it was the fact that like, I really enjoyed my, my lifestyle. <laughs> and then the classic that happens to a lot of people is I met a girl. <laughs> and, like, once you do that, then like, yeah, we've been married for seven years now. So I guess it was the right choice. Wow. So does she want to stay here? No, she, she's a local. So I expect <laughs> yeah, yeah, this right. is home to her. So this is this home for you then? Um, for the foreseeable future. One of the things that we always talk about is like, we haven't had children yet. We've been married mm-hmm. for seven years, as I say. And my wife's just past 30. So that's when like often people start thinking. They about start that. asking you. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, she it's her birthday next month. Actually, she'll be 30. So I'm sure my mother and Laura is, is piling on that pressure. But one of the things we've always discussed is like, I'm very happy here in China um, based on my current circumstances, mm-hmm. but that's my current circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I'm very aware of the fact that children can completely shift your circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's not saying I w- would want to leave, but it's saying that I have to be open to that possibility because mm-hmm. I'm aware that my life will change. And I don't know where my mind frame will be and whether I'll, I'll want to be here or whether I'll want to be there. I just need to be open to, to anything. Well, we don't need you to decide today. <laughs> yeah. That's way more than I expected. <laughs> um, where have you been in China and where have you visited and what kind of places did you like the most? What stood out? Uh, well, the biggest cities I've, I've kind of so... Uh, with work, I was eventually in charge of cities in uh, centers in Beijing and Chengdu, and mm. our national office was Lucky. in Shanghai. I know. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, so like between Beijing, Shanghai, Chengdu, I was traveling quite frequently. To be honest, like at least once a month, I'd be I'd be traveling around. Mm. Um, so I know those cities reasonably well. But then, yeah, I don't know. There's Guangzhou, Shenzhen, Urumqi. Like, yeah, yeah. So you lived in Shenzhen for quite a while as a principal. Yeah, it was just kind of a. A, a short stint. Um, I moved down there during uh, the, the pandemic after Disney closed. I, I moved down there, but I'd been in Beijing my entire time here mm. and we didn't quite sell. Like we didn't like it as much in Shenzhen as we did in Beijing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. about four months afterwards, we're like, no, I think, I think we'll go back to Beijing. I want to ask a couple of different questions, but one of them is Shanghai or Beijing? 
Oh, well, I, I, really love to, I love this really question. Do we have to put our guest through this? We fight every about guest. this on the show. I, I torment every guest with this question. Okay, let, let's put it in a new way. You've never been to China. You're moving to China. Which one would be well, easier? Beijing to... was the one I chose. Because... The one chose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Would you ch still choose Beijing if for a new person moving to China? Would you say, oh, you should come to Beijing? Um, I would personally say it because I prefer Beijing. Yes. Yeah, personally, <laughs> I would definitely say Beijing, but I can understand the appeal of Shanghai. Yeah. I'm not like, I know it's quite common, like the North-South divide. It's quite common to be like anti-Shanghai. Yeah. I'm not anti-Shanghai. Anti I'm just more, yeah, anti anything. I mean, yeah, you know, Beijing talking is about better. preferences. Yes. Yeah, but definitely my preference is Beijing. Yeah. So where have you, well, where else have you traveled per person, not just with work for like trips and uh, mm -hmm. around the country? Well, so uh, my wife, wife grew up in Xinjiang, mm -hmm. so obviously mm -hmm. Chinese New Year and stuff, it will be trips back to Xinjiang. Ooh, that I'm jealous of. The yeah. food there is... Yang Rao Chua is... But yeah, it's just something that they've done for a long time. So you'll go to a little hole-in-the-wall restaurant mm -hmm. and it will be incredible. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was like You can get like really good Yang Rao Chua here, but you have to go looking for it. Mm -hmm. Whereas there... Almost anyone you go into is going to be pretty high quality. I noticed at night, even at like 3.30 a.m., you can yes. get Chuar here in Beijing. It's probably not what you're talking about. But OK, so um, what about other international travels? What countries stood out to you? Because you've been to quite a few countries now. Uh, How many countries have you been to? Have you counted? Do you have a map? Do you have a travel map? Do you have a number? I haven't counted. No, um, it's probably around 20, I'd guess. Um, yeah, I, I've done five continents. So yeah. mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a fair few checked off. Mm. Um, in terms of ones that stood out um, I did really enjoy New Zealand just because really felt quite close to England it was quite strange in that like <laughs> it felt very very similar mm. to England mm. except it was so sparsely populated mm. it was yeah. like similar size island but with like five or six million people rather so than like, six wow. England a thousand years ago yeah pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. sorry yeah <laughs> but it was yeah I really I enjoyed that as a as a place like obviously when you you asked earlier about living elsewhere the question often gets put to you of like, okay, would you prefer to stay here or go home? Mm. And I, the, my answer is often, it's like, well, they're not the only two options. Mm -hmm. Like there are True. other places you could go and New Zealand somewhere that I could see myself living. Where have you not been in China that you still want to go? You, another place that you went was the uh, Avatar Mountains, right? No, I haven't. That's probably oh, my, oh, my, my, my wife went without me. Oh, <laughs> social media and I was like yeah. lucky Tom but you she didn't bring you yeah. 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 you started assuming they went together yeah I was yeah. like oh it was during it was during a period where uh, the school was being quite strict about travel outside of mm. Beijing uh. um, and they were saying okay like if you leave when you come back um, you can't enter campus for X number of days um, and she wasn't working so she was like well I'm going so <laughs> she went and love you bye my wife ideas <laughs> yeah but yeah she tells me it's wonderful so I guess that's something that I would like to to me like most of southern China to be mm. honest I've mm. spent uh, a lot of time up here I haven't spent as much time down there so mm. like when I went to Shenzhen I didn't really travel around outside there but it's like Obviously, the weather down there is beautiful. Not quite as nice when you're stuck in a big metropolis city. But if you're if you're in that area, but mm. go out to the countryside or to beaches and something like that, was something that I'd I'd love to enjoy. People talk about Sanya and places like yeah. that, but that's obviously it's quite built up itself. But kind of beach areas in the south is a place I'd like to go. Yeah. You're listening to the bridge. 
earlier, I was asking you what was it like going back to England after having lived in, uh, in the Republic of Georgia. But I know that you've been back to England since you've been living in China. How was that experience different? Uh, weirdly, I find myself missing things from China, which I never had from Georgia. So you had your friend's thing when he was in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. So there would be like uh, when I went uh, and took my wife, we would like go to the Chinese supermarket because <laughs> they in Newcastle is a Chinese supermarket. What were you looking for exactly in the Chinese supermarket? Um, usually spicy noodles, um, uh, just like junk food and stuff like that. <laughs> Rose complained that there's too much sweet food in the UK, and she, I want something that's spicy. Um, so yeah, I would miss things with with a bit of spice. Sure. Yeah. We we talked about before we started recording that I spent a, a month in uh, a camp rich for summer school mm -hmm. and talking about the way that you described Sunday roast. I was being served formal dinner every day because, you know, we were spoiled kids. We mm. paid a lot of money. So it was, it was formal dinner at one of the Cambridge colleges, really mm. nice dining hall, uh, four courses, dinner, no vegetables whatsoever. It's like meat What's every day. No vegetables, guys. No, I, I guess that's the thing. And the UK people are just like, we want all the protein that we can. Yeah. Um, so like the vegetables we have, we have a very limited. So like you'll have like potatoes, <laughs> carrots, maybe some peas. Pretty, pretty much. So I, I, I spent a month there. And after I came back, the only two months of my life where I was like, I'm going to be I didn't cut meat out completely, but I was going to be a pescatarian. I was only mm -hmm. eating fish because I just couldn't stand red meat anymore. Like I see <laughs> actual meat. I was like, I'm going to vomit. But wow. it was really, it was really nice dinner before my stomach for that kind of diet for a whole month continuously. It was a little bit too much, too much. for me. You're listening to The Bridge. You are an educator. You have a TEFL, a CELTA, a teaching credential, 10 years teaching experience, and now a master's degree in globalization and education. So wow. it sounds like you're quite the educator. So could And the learner, I guess. I guess, yes. <laughs> also, you're quite educated. So we were hoping you could tell us a little bit about some of the insights that you've had about how kids... Uh, can learn English, but can learn any topic and, and issues that come up in this field. It's it's quite interesting because I think you were asking me earlier about why uh, or what you can do to kind of get over those difficulties when you're moving to a new place. Mm -hmm. And I talked about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that's exactly mm. the same when it comes to learning mm. a language, mm. like mm. kind of accepting that you're going to fumble, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And I often use the example of, of, of two children. Mm -hmm. um, and it's what the child that um, will learn, but will only say the answer when they know they're 100% correct. Mm -hmm. So they, they will sit there and, and think for a while and then they'll go for it. And then once they're certain, they'll say it and it'll be delivered. But they're yeah. usually quite limited in what they'll speak about. And then mm -hmm. the other child that will be full of mistakes, mm -hmm. but will just babble and will just talk. <laughs> and eventually this child always wins mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. just through the confidence of like, I don't care that I'm making mistakes. I'm still yeah. going to push through. They develop. And then eventually, like, those mistakes get either self-corrected or picked up on by others. But if you never hear the mistakes from that the child because they're not willing to push themselves, mm. then they don't improve as far. That makes which, a which lot of, of sense. Were you? I was actually surprisingly, if, if you do find it surprising, the, the former. I'm very, oh, yeah. I'm very self-critical. quite fluent. I'm very self-critical. My accent didn't really change that much before I went to the States versus after. Mm -hmm. But I had this roommate who's um, a senior recruiter or whatever. He's living in, 
in South Korea now, we were really close. So he didn't really care about being critical to me. So he would point things out that nobody else would. Mm. Um, he said, why do you talk so weird when <laughs> you say words like roommate? He said, when you say roommate, it sounds like you're saying root mate. Because mm. I would eat mm. the M in between, mm. um, in the middle. And then I was like, oh my God, I started a whole self-examining journey of what words I would say that way. And I became super aware when mm. I speak that word mm. from that point onward. That's kind of how I've always been like that. I was like, I can't say this perfectly. I would rather not say it. But that's really interesting that you pointed out because I started telling people kind of the same thing, not about learning language. I started telling younger people who are going abroad and said, when you go abroad, when you go to bachelor's or, or your graduate study, whatever you're doing, just make sure you speak up in, in class because mm -hmm. Chinese students tend to think about the right answer. Mm -hmm. Um, in their mind. And if they can, they don't say it. And usually when they can come up with a, a perfect answer or, or an answer that they're happy with, the time already passed because American yeah. kid has already spoken up to him and is babbling on. I mean, I can I can relate to Tom because I think I'm also the former, but my Chinese has never gotten good. So like I, hmm. I get really What's scared. What's the missing link, Jason? <laughs> to you, I, yeah, I, I know people who lived here two or three years and became fluent in Chinese because they were well, usually they're in an education program. Mm. But also they're willing to just try all the time. Yeah. Whereas I only started using my Chinese when I felt like I knew that was the right answer. <laughs> and even then I still get corrected. I make mistakes all the time, but I was really reticent to use my Chinese. So I've been here 10 years and my Chinese is just pretty okay. Based on what you just said, your advice would be to for parents to encourage their kids to just speak as much as they can and mm. to be brave. Yeah. And also early, like you mentioned there, uh, talking about how long you've been here and they start education programs. You do that straight away mm. because yeah. if you wait, then you learn shortcuts that are not good for you. <laughs> and you, you learn ways around and how to live your life okay. without doing yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and you're yeah. like, I can get yeah. away with it. And whereas if you come in and like straight away, like, okay, I'm, I've got to learn now. You start to use the language. So you mean like you soak yourself in it. Two years mm. old, three years old. As soon as they start speaking, start <laughs> well, speaking two in languages. In terms of, you can think of it like age growing up, or you can think of it if you're moving to a, a new place. But like, so with my school, for example, um, we have students that join us in reception kindergarten age mm. and come through. And we have students that join us in grade seven, grade eight. Mm, mm, um, mm. And one of the things I often like have conversations with parents about is mm. like a grade five child comes in. It's like, oh, mm. um, can we still can we still join? And like, of course, you can still join. Mm. You have to accept the fact that you are going to be behind the other children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're always going to be behind. You will like catch up, but it might take three, four years. But the earlier that you start, it's going to be naturally, you're going to have an advantage yeah. over others. Makes a huge difference. Sometimes there are remedial programs that parents are reticent to participate in. They're mm. like, oh, my child shouldn't be in that. I want them to be in this one. <laughs> you know, they're going to drown and then that's going to be really challenging for them. You know, one thing that I've noticed is that parents will insist that their children be in advanced programs when mm. sometimes they don't belong there. And that's, mm -hmm. in my personal experience, always been bad for them. It's always like they don't belong in this program. OK, we're putting them in there anyway. OK, at the end of the year, it's like maybe they need to do it again because yeah. they yeah. shouldn't have been doing at the first time. Yeah. So last year I had a child uh, that joined 
at grade three. Mm. And, and when she joined, because she was coming from a public school versus children that had been uh, two and three years mm. in, a bilingual uh, in bilingual school, she was one of the lower people in the class. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. By the end of the year, she was distinctly average. Now, when mm. I say distinctly average, some people will hear that as like, oh, well, so what? I'm like, well, that's incredible progress. Yeah, that is yeah. <laughs> for a bilingual like, school, suddenly, suddenly that they're basically fluent. It's often like there are, we have to accept there are some children that have some cognitive advantages and disadvantages and yeah. their, their capacity to learn is different. She was one of those children that she quite clearly has an incredible capacity to learn. She just wasn't given the exposure. And then as soon as she was given the exposure, she climbed relatively quickly. You're listening to The Bridge. You know, I think for most of the people listening, they're not going to be educators. They're going to be parents. So for our Chinese parents who are (laughs) interested in learning, not every parent wants their child to learn English, but a lot of them do. What would you say for them to be doing at home? Because that's the primary area where they can affect their child's education. Mm. For me, it's um, taking an interest in in what they're doing. Like Mm. for, for most children, like their parents are God. Their parents mean (laughs) everything to them. Um, So showing an interest in what they're doing is really important. But showing an interest doesn't mean doing it for them. Mm -hmm. Showing an interest means asking about what they're doing, getting them to explain it to you and Mm. and just opening the dialogue um, and talking about it. um, Obviously, now I I work um, as as a leader Mm. And when it comes to leadership, the, one of the tricks I was trying to remember is, okay, only ask questions about things that you care about. Because like mm. in a leadership position, you have natural role power. And if you ask a question, it kind of ticks subconsciously, okay, oh, he cares about that. I better make sure I do something and concentrate if mm. assuming that they want to do well. Um, and if you ask questions about things that are meaningless, you might find like, oh, I'm just making conversation. I'm just being polite, but mm. you can lead them off on a tangent that you don't want them to. Mm-hmm. So ask questions about the things that like are of benefit to your organization so that they, they move forward in the direction that you want them to go. Mm. It's the same when you're managing a child. Like mm-hmm. you ask questions <laughs> about things that you want them to, to show an interest in. It's like, oh, mom cares about this. Let's, and let's talk about this more. And it just, it, they naturally go in that direction. Yeah. I actually have very similar advice. I used to tell parents a different way. If you say go, it's your time for you to do your homework, go over there and do your homework. Mommy's going to mm. play with her phone or <laughs> let's, you know, sit down and do your homework. Mommy's going to take an interest while you're doing your homework. Mm. Obviously you, you pointed out, don't do it for them. I've also seen that where it's like, you didn't write this. Like, yeah. who, who, did, who wrote this? Was this mommy or daddy? Mommy. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> and then you have to talk to mom and say, you can't mm. do their homework for them. So there's a balance between there. Close. Obviously not sending them off to do it alone where they're going to be disinterested and feel like it's punishment almost like, oh, mm. I'm being forced to sit here to do something I don't want to do. Because as soon as, yeah, mom or dad are involved and mm. they're helping you, they're like, oh, this is something that mom really thinks is important because yeah. mom's here with me doing it. Mm. Yeah. Or dad. I didn't really speak until I was in high school hmm. and I was, I was considered as one of the bad kids in junior high. When I got into high school, I, I met a really encouraging teacher who kind of just went like, oh, you could be the class representative because you have the highest test scores. But I didn't speak. I wasn't mm. like, I didn't, mm. I didn't you have a good pronunciation. Rules. Yes. I was very good at taking tests. He made me the class representative. I met another friend uh, whose English name was Jennifer. Of course, she's Chinese. Apparently, when we were in high school, we didn't feel like we were being weird and strange. But years later, when we were having a reunion with our high school friends, they're like, oh, we all thought you two were just crazy. Absolutely. Because you were talking (laughs) to each other in English. 
in a Chinese high school all the time. Like we even everywhere we would go, we would be speaking mm. um, English, going to the canteen, going to the bathroom. <laughs> we would just be talking to each other in English. And we had no idea like whether we we're doing it right or wrong. But mm. I guess that helped tremendously. Mm. So, well, I mean, if I if I picked up the phone and you were on there, I didn't know you already. I would assume you were from America. So I think your accent is basically gone. Whatever you've done. Our Thanks listeners. to high school, Alex yeah. and Jennifer. So um, what about emotional development? How can parents help their children emotionally so that they grow up confident and willing to learn effectively? Well, a lot of emotional development is actually responding to the children and what they're doing mm. quite often. Obviously, your role, you want to, to push them in certain directions, but there's there's ways of influencing without being pushy, uh, mm -hmm. as a word, mm -hmm. Infl like responding to their, their needs. And um, in terms of we talk about asking questions and showing an interest. It's also actively listening to mm -hmm. find out what they are interested in. Mm -hmm. Like, so sports is something that I feel quite passionately <laughs> about. Like, just let them try everything, mm -hmm. but then actually listen to you often like, and some sports like have certain reputations. Like it might be based on gender. It's like, okay, dance isn't for boys. Well, it's like, well, if he likes dancing, he can be a dancer. Or mm -hmm. it might be, oh, that sport is too tough. If you're taking up American yeah. football, you're going to get concussions <laughs> and things mm -hmm. like that. Respond to them what they they like and what they enjoy mm. and actually letting them develop it because mm -hmm. if you have something that you actively have a passion for mm -hmm. you're going to be invested in it and having that emotional uh, like support so that you can seek out things that you like and also like mm -hmm. in the case of sports they do have all these auxiliary benefits that you're going to get from them yeah. mm -hmm. um, so let them go into those areas encouraging your child to do something that becomes challenging after a while if you want them to continue to develop or you're hoping that they're going to continue to mm -hmm. develop a particular skill are there ways for parents to keep them going or should they shift gears to something else so something like a, a piano um, mm -hmm. I often think um, having a, a payoff that proves that persistence like gives you something mm -hmm. um, often that comes in the form of a recital of, mm -hmm. of some sort yeah. like, like if you have some sort of uh, <laughs> performance or a recital or a trophy yeah. and you have a payoff at the end at the end you're like okay so I went through all those hard yards but at the end I, I got this positive feeling mm -hmm. now what's really important there is that that payoff does root itself in a positive feeling mm. and in that like you give lots of praise and you like you celebrate it and like mm. a second place trophy is celebrated just as much <laughs> as a first place trophy so but like you're recognizing <laughs> that like there is a payoff there yeah. and like it gives them that thing okay so i had all these lessons that i didn't enjoy at the time but by putting in those hard yards mm. i experienced something now i want to put in more hard yards because mm. i like that feeling but it would be even more enhanced if i got that first place rather than that mm. second place yeah and, and giving them that payoff you're listening to the bridge How do children maybe see the world differently than adults? Because adults, I think they just assume that kids are little less educated versions of themselves. <laughs> so how do they see the world differently that might parents might be able to better relate to them? I work in, in primary education mm -hmm. um, and we'll have people that are 10 years old and we'll, we'll have people that are five years old. And the younger you get, I think a lot of parents often forget that some experiences are literally the first time this child has ever had that experience. Mm. In in this env environment, you're not 
acting in the way people ordinarily act in in this yeah. environment. I was like, well, I've never been in this environment before. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever entered a swimming pool. Mm. This yeah. is the first time I've ever been to a theater where we're expected to be quiet. Mm. I don't know what the social norms are in this environment because I've never been in this environment. True. And, and recognizing what those are, sometimes putting yourself in an awkward situation. So the theater, for example, mm. nobody wants to be the parent with the, the crying the Screaming child. kid, yeah. <laughs> but it's like... Okay, are there ways that I can recreate this where there's less pressure? Like some theaters will have performances that are child friendly yeah. and they'll be aware of that. Like putting them in the situations where we can kind of practice those social mm. norms mm. so that we can get accustomed to it. Wow, that's, that's actually quite insightful. One of our uh, friends who's a filmmaker decided to make remake a fairy tale. Uh, mm. not a, it's not a fairy tale. It's a, it's a little matchstick girl. And he said, I talked to my daughter who's like five years old or six years old. I was telling her the story of this little girl beaten, yelled at, abused physically and mentally. And she still has to sell matches for her dad, for her dad. Mm. And his daughter went, why? She goes, if someone beats me, I'm going to beat him. <laughs> you know, I was like, see that kind of attitude. You would not, you as an adult, you just follow, you would just follow along with the logic of whatever you're told or whatever you're asked to do. Mm. But the kids look at things from a very different perspective. And a lot of mm. the amazing artworks that we enjoy today, maybe some of the technologies, if we really dig behind the, dig into the, the story behind the scenes, probably come from a random conversations from their kids. Mm. One of the things that both Tom and I did in our former job was try to get down physically on their level yeah. so that you're eye line is at the same. So if they're five, you have to sit on the floor like as low as you can so that they're at the same physical level as you. So that when you're talking to them, it feels more interpersonal than yeah. you're just looking down at this child. Okay. You know, tongue tongue. You're listening to The Bridge. Ultimately, why have you pursued a career as an educator for so far your entire working life, really? I mean, like anything, when you find something that you feel like you're successful in, it's, mm -hmm. it, it kind of it draws you in and you're, you're more likely. But I did actually have something of a, a crossroads in my career when it came to the end of the pandemic. So mm. I mentioned that I was working for Disney English and, and early in the pandemic, um, they were one of the the first companies to kind of close mm -hmm. that yeah. industry's kind of like start to disappear since then. Mm -hmm. But by that point, I, I wasn't an educator anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. was a manager, but mm. the people I was managing were also managers. You, you were one of them at, mm -hmm. at one point. <laughs> the managed managers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, like Disney as a huge multinational corporation, mm. I was working in the corporate world. Mm. And at that point it was okay. Like, do I want to stay in China and continue working? Do I want to, move back to the UK mm. because my like career is at a crossroads. I do have an option now. Yeah. I mentioned earlier about being like adaptable, making the choice. Mm. I was aware that if I went back to the UK, it would probably be out of education. I wouldn't want to mm -hmm. work in mm -hmm. education in the UK. I'd probably go maybe into L&D or, or something mm -hmm. like mm. that in a, a corporate job back home. Yeah. But if I'm staying in China, I would like to, to stay in education. So I, I moved into the school system rather than the training center. So yeah, that was the fork I was at. And yeah, I chose to stay. For people who are considering 
coming to China now? Because there are lots of positions open across mm. all kinds of fields now, more than ever during my time here. What would you suggest to people coming over teaching English or culturally expectations, that kind of thing? So obviously it depends on, on what you're coming for in terms mm. of um, what sort of experience you're going to... If uh, Teaching has always been something that's like the most common because it, it's, it's accessible to people. Mm. There's just more mm. teaching jobs because everybody has to go to school, right? Mm. So just yeah. the law of numbers, there's going to be a lot of teaching jobs. Yep. So if you're going into a, a teaching position, like China's an excellent place to be mm -hmm. and that there are, as you say, a, a lot of opportunities. Uh, if you're going into like other fields, I'm probably not the one to give you the advice. <laughs> I can give you lots of advice about life in China. Mm -hmm. I would thoroughly enjoy living here. And as I say, mm -hmm. when we talked a lot about how like you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and things like that, that's always been true. But as every year passes, the barrier of entry reduces because mm -hmm. of the technological support that we have and because there are so many apps um, yeah. and things. So like... For example, like paying for things on Alipay and WeChat, that mm -hmm. kind of got kickstarted in the West when pandemic came and we had to, but we've been doing it for years. Yeah. It's something mm -hmm. that's just part of our everyday life. So the barrier of entry of coming in is low and take the leap. For me personally, my happiest times in China have been, I'm, maybe this is going to sound really boring, but walking around <laughs> quietly on a sunny day in parks <laughs> or temples, just looking at, you know, the wind blowing through the trees and people enjoying themselves. I wanted to ask you guys, what were some of your best memories of life in the U.S.? Um, the subway performers in New York. <laughs> what are the subway performers of New it's York? Just random people that would just go, I, I believe the word is busking yeah. either in the subway or on like Washington, Washington Square. Washington, is that oh my God. Such distant memory. I think it's Washington Square or okay. whatever it's called. People will know what I'm talking about. You will find or you will run into really amazing artists. Hmm. Um, and it's not just people who are trying to ask for money because they need it. It's artists who genuinely just want to perform in front of a crowd in a very casual fashion. And there are artists that I work with who are semi-famous that would still go on the subway and do it. And then you start making friends with those people, you know, like they're little celebrities, like people know about them and you're like, oh, I'm roommates with the, with this, this other Zach, who's also like a musician. And they're like, oh my God, you're, you're like, you know them. Like, I don't just know them. I live with them. Mm. I haven't had that celebrity treatment here yet. Like I haven't, haven't been roommates with, uh, well, I was roommate with Lincoln and people sort of knew who he was because he's a comedian as well. But that's about it. Like nobody was really known by the rest of the country. And you're like, just randomly close with them. And then you run into them on the subway and mm. they're like, you're just like watching on the subway while it's moving. Oh, in the subway stations. Oh, okay. The performers on the subway are probably a little bit different than those who are stationed because you have to get a, I think, I believe you have to get a permit to, mm. to, to perform in subway stations. That's probably something that I haven't really seen back here. There are people who do like, who sing songs on the street here in Beijing. Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. And play Arhu. That's a little more sad than I would love to, what I would love to <laughs> see. You know? But I, I've seen singing, but I haven't seen like, I've seen opera singers, like bands, uh, some kind of like small quartet, all of New these York. things. New York. Yeah. yeah. Was, that's, that's one thing that I really miss. I think that's very different from San Francisco where I'm from, because I saw people playing sax in subway stations, but I don't think they had a permit. They just were like showing up and like finding places where there's less security to yeah. hang out and play. I have a video of a, uh, this guy on on the train in New York and he had a guitar and he just started singing Sweet Caroline and everybody was singing along. That was wow. a great moment. 
So what about you for you living here in China? What are some of your best memories of life here? I would say put it down to a specific place. I, I love the Great Wall and hiking on the Great Wall is something that I really enjoy. Number, uh, number. How well, many times? How with, many times? I went with him one time <laughs> yeah. and I was, Did, I was like, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to be faster. And it, was, it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he was running back and forth. And <laughs> you were like, I'm going to beat you eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many times have you been to the Great Wall? Seven, eight, nine. Wow. Yeah. wow. That's quite a bit. Do you, do you tend to go to different parts or is it always? Um, I have a favorite. Mutian is probably my favorite, but I've been to Sumatai, uh, Badling. I've been mm. What I really used to love about Mutian U is where you first get onto the wall. If you turn left, you didn't need to go for more than like 15, 20 minutes before it became the wild wall. And oh. at that point, it, there was like a little like sign saying like, this is the wild wall. Don't yeah. pass. But like, it was basically like you go past at your own risk. Yeah. And I loved hiking that section of the wall. But since then, the is rules that have changed. Or the and same I, from Tianko? Uh, yeah, there's, there's similar, similar parts there. Mm. Um, but now I believe there's actually like barriers of like, yeah, don't. Go yeah. because the oh, rocks will like displace and you might fall and yeah and, yeah and the steps are super narrow yeah like, you can't really there's a section where it's like close to vertical it feels yeah. like and you're on your hands and knees crawling up yeah I yeah that, that was going up scaling the cemetery I don't think I had to be on my hands and knees <laughs> but I was on my hands and knees yeah I was like uh, just use my hands don't want to fall here <laughs> yeah I love I love there it's like the idea of like being somewhere that's so old. But mm. also just, I, I like being out in nature. So mm. that is like kind of a thing of like, you're doing something that you enjoy in quite a profound place. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Tom. That's all the time we have today. Lovely Please join us next time you. on The Bridge when we connect east and west. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me.